And we're looking at our Bible lists, and we still have a few more of these lists to go through, but uh, tonight we're looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Last time we were looking at the various ministries of the Holy Spirit, and there's all kinds of topics under under the Holy Spirit that we could uh, look out uh, look at and, and find lists. Now this is not going to be what I'd call an exhaustive study on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think you could spend um, a, a, an hour on each one of these uh, that are listed. Now Wilmington has 18 uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit that are listed, and if you look or you know want to look it up on different lists and various books on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there there's anywhere between you know some, sometimes I see around 17 all the way up to like 20 or so, and it falls somewhere in there because some of them overlap and and you can kind of lump them in together uh, these giftings and ultimately it's the understanding that that God in the, in the church age here as he's given us the holy spirit as he comes God the holy spirit comes to reside within the life of the believer in our and seals us he also gifts us and i do believe that every believer has at least one gift of the holy spirit um, now there are other things that sort of overlap and i say like the fruits of the spirit would be one in galatians 5 uh, at 22 there you have the or the 521 22 you have the the gifts of the holy spirit or the fruits of the holy spirit and in that uh some of those fruits show up particularly in people that are gifted in those areas as well and we'll look at um a few of those but uh, most of this is coming right out of a couple different passages uh, mostly in Romans chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Those are the two big passages, uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, that deal with the gifting of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to read down through some of those here tonight. So I begin with um, the first one on the list, and it's the gift of prophecy. And I'm just going to read a verse here from Romans chapter 12, verse 6. It says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in the proportion to our faith. And Lord, once again, as we open up the Bible, we're mindful that we need you to open it to us. And thank you that the Holy Spirit is the best teacher. And we pray even tonight, he would teach us. And we would yield ourselves to him. We thank you for these gifts, gifts of grace, gifts for the edification of the body of Christ and for those around us in a hurting world. And we thank you, God, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are these different lists, and I have roughly 18 of them, 17. And again, sometimes they throw in, like, for instance, the uh, offices of the church or other things as gifts or, like, for instance, evangelism. And I, I do believe there is a gift of evangelism, but there's also the work of an evangelist, which also any Christian can do in evangelizing. Uh, but we'll get to that. I'm jumping ahead. We start off with this one because it's just the way it falls here is the word prophecy. And the word for prophecy as it's uh, found in scripture here, it means uh, essentially the foretelling of God's message, a divine message. And that's important because it can be very much connected with future telling, like you know, seeing things ahead as God reveals it. And I do believe that there was an aspect of that in not only the Old Testament, also the New Testament. Like, for instance, John, who writes the book of Revelation, the Bible says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. There he is in exile in the island of Patmos. And the Lord reveals to him a a message of Revelation. And much of that is uh, a foretelling of future events. It was also a foretelling of current events and events that were going to happen very soon. Things that are, things that will be, and things that will be hereafter in that, that format. And um, that's John the prophet, if you want to look at it that way. But there is, in very simple form, it is the foretelling of a divine message. And we see that, and I do believe that that aspect of prophecy, now the future aspect, I do not believe God is... is uh, giving us new revelation. Now, I have to make that clear. I'm a, what we call a cessationist, and I get that from Scripture, because the Bible talks about prophecies ceasing or failing, it uses in the Old English. It also talks about tongues, and, and um, those will cease as well, or stop. And so there seems to be a temporary 
a mode in which God uh, confirmed his message, especially early on in the church. We often call that the apostolic gifts because they're associated with those early foundational um, parts of the church when it started, like in the book of Acts and shortly thereafter, and seems to have uh, ceased shortly or during the time of the apostles after they uh, were off the scene. And yet I realize there are those that hold to those gifts today and uh, do, you know, believe that God gives them special revelation and gives them the ability to say, you know, speak languages, a language mostly in this forms that it's used today, unknown languages that nobody knows, and then people that say they can interpret those things. Now, we're going to look at those as we go down through because... Uh, again, I could do an exhaustive study on each one of those, and that's not what I'm here to do tonight. I'm just looking at the list of things. But there are what we call the sign gifts, and prophecy and tongues and healings are numbered in that category of the sign gifts. And uh, like I said, there's great dispute over whether those gifts are available today to individuals um, in that God is gifting people that way. And... Uh, I would say shortly no, but yeah, but it, you know, again, I, I say that easily without giving you much um, study on that as far as tonight. Anyways, we go back to this prophecy. According to Thayer's Greek lexicon, it refers to the discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purpose of God. So there are those in when Paul is writing here in Romans and then again in 1 Corinthians 12.10, he says, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy. There it is used again. It is that word meaning to declare the divine will or to foretell what God has. And it is basically in close connection to the, the interpretation of the purpose of God, what he has in store for us or anybody, and the way of making that known as a proclamation. And it's designed ultimately to influence others right it isn't something that we benefit alone on that it's a gift that is a public gift in aspect in that way and again you have that the second one is in romans twelve seven, and it says or ministry now in various translations this can be also serving and that is the root word of it it is the word uh, diaconian which we Use today in the title of deacon. Diaconian is one who serves or a serving. That's the the verb there. Um, but a deacon, which we have a position of one who serves. And the root word of that means to kick up dust. So how about that? Not collect dust, but kick up dust. There's a difference. If you're collecting dust, you're too still. Right? If you're kicking up dust, you're active, you're moving. And that's the idea of someone who is serving. And it's listed here in Romans 12 as a gift. Now, I think all of us can serve. And I would dare say that that's a very, a, a very I wouldn't say popular gift, because I'm not saying that everybody serves. But you see a lot of servants that I think are divinely you know, gifted in those areas and they are like that. And so you have serving. And it is um, those who basically are involved in a service of any kind. It is a broad application or, or a practical help to those in need. And we see it first used in the position uh, of, in the book of Acts in chapter 6 where deacons are chosen. And there was criteria. They had to be spirit-led, spirit-filled people. And so I think that that was a reliance on that service area. And they were chosen. And they were uh, chosen to serve, uh, basically to serve in the church, like in the first case in Acts 6, of the needs of widows, right? Because that was a great need. And the apostles were busy with teaching thousands of new converts, (laughs) literally. And when you... Uh, are involved in that kind of a ministry, the teaching ministry, there is sometimes not a lot of other time to go out and do the practical aspect of the ministry, which is the serving of others. And so they appointed deacons to help um, 
pick up that ministry in that area. And they were people that are a good report. And anyways, but serving. Serving is one of those diaconian. And then there's teaching. And that's the next one, Romans 12, 7. He who teaches in teaching. And that's another gift. And that one is uh, didascalia. And we sometimes talk about didactic learning or teaching. That's the classroom kind of learning, right? You have sort of the practical, in the field kind of learning, and then you have didactic, which is when you're receiving instruction. And that's what it means. One who is able to teach is one that can proclaim, can analyze the Word of God, and then proclaim it and explain it in its meaning, in its context, in its application to the hearer's life. And certainly there is an aspect of someone who is proclaiming the word of God, like in prophecy, but also in the application of that, that comes more of the, the teaching and then the digging in, right? We're doing more teaching tonight. We're looking at words, right? We're looking at how they, they fit and what they mean and then hoping, hopefully applying it, if you can apply it, right? And, and again, some of these gifts you may have, right? And you don't even know. Um, and I, I say you don't know because maybe you've never tried it, you know? Um, you can't really, sometimes that's how we discover our gifts. When you give opportunity for someone to serve in a capacity like in a church or whatever, and you say, hey, why don't you teach a Bible study? Or why don't you come up and preach one of these nights? And now you find out, you know, some guy has the gift of preaching, um, sometimes teaching. Or how about, why don't you help us serve, you know, on uh, the Sunday where we have, you know, our our fellowship Sunday, and you see people that jump into that, and they're they're gifted in those areas. And so you don't always know those gifts until someone gives you the opportunity to do that. So, And sometimes you have to take those opportunities, right, and just do it. So as we go down through this list, and maybe there's some of you sitting here today, maybe some of our younger people, maybe some of our older people, that are saying, hey, maybe that's my gift. I'm, I'm kind of like that. Maybe God has, has gifted me in that area. Well, there's teaching, and a gifted teacher is one who has uh, the unique ability to clearly instruct and communicate knowledge, specifically the doctrines of the faith. And uh, that's what it's in reference to here. And then the next one, it says, he who exhorts. I think the NIV has it as um, um, encouraging. Encouraging. And that's what the word means. It means to exhort with a means to encourage. Uh, the Greek word is Parakalon, that's what it is, Parakalon, means to come alongside and encourage. And that's uh, what we do when someone is gifted in exhortation. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, right? The comforter, the other, the helper. And that's part of his direct ministry to all of us. He's the great encourager. And let's, let's be real. We need not only the Holy Spirit to encourage us, but we need others who are gifted by the Holy Spirit to encourage us along and to exhort us, as the Bible says, to, to exhort one another and, and do so, you know, especially as you see the day approaching, right? I mean, as you walk in this life, it's very discouraging, and Christians are giving up. And it's great when someone can come along and say, hey, we need to press on because it's the right thing to do. And this is why. And then spiritually, they come alongside and they encourage through the word of God and through prayer and through, through their gift. And then there's giving. It says, he who exhorts in exhortation and he who gives with liberality. And the word uh, for, uh, for giving here, uh, metodius, and in the root word is didomai, which is a gift, right? And haplotis, which is generously, liberally. And there are those that, according to Paul, as he writes here, are gifted by the Holy Spirit to give. That's their giving, or their, their gift, the gift of giving. And they're just generous people. And everywhere they go, they're just generous people. And that may be your gift. I know there's some very generous people in this church, and uh, folks that give not only of finances, but they give of their time. They give of their material, their talents, 
they give of their personal time. That's a big one, right? There are those that just are givers like that. And sometimes it's just giving attention to someone else. All of that is part of the ministry of giving, and it is part of that. Um, and also, it's, it's being able to see the needs of others. And there are those that are like that. There, I, I run into them, and over the years, uh, they've been a part of our life, investing in our life and my family, as well as the ministries we've been involved in. And, and you just see it in other people's lives. And they come along, and they see a need, and no one asked them or told them about the need. They just see it. And it's like, I can meet that need. And uh, God's, God's gifted people with giving generously. And then the next one is right here, leads. He who leads with diligence, right? And leadership is another gift. And it literally means prostemi, which is to rule or to um, preside over, is the, is the idea of a leader, right? Someone who brings leadership to a group and is able to move with that. A manager, and, and I do believe there are those that are particularly gifted in leadership. And they just are like that. I'm not talking now. There's certainly secular leadership out there. Lots of it. And there are born leaders, as you hear it. You know, people that just come in, they make order, and they make it happen. But in the, in the realm of the Christian, you know, the leader is a spirit-filled leader. Hopefully, anyways, right? And they rule with wisdom and grace. And those things coupled together. And they should exhibit the fruits of the Spirit in their life. If they don't, they're not really being Spirit-filled leaders, right? And I, I just put it that way. And, and by the way, sometimes this happens in churches, and I've seen it, where someone has a secular position where they're a leader or a manager, and someone says, hey, you should lead the church, you know? And that is sometimes the worst thing you can do if the person isn't gifted to lead. And it's also hard to get rid of them. Right? And I'm not thinking about any of our guys, just so you know. All right? this is out, I, but I have been in churches where you know, a, a businessman who's just a leader, he's got a company or whatever, he's in a place in the church, and he tries to run the church like his business. And it isn't always led by the Spirit. And now I've also met men who are in those positions who are gifted leaders. And they are gifted, and that overflows to their secular work as well. I say secular work. We don't really, shouldn't make a distinction, right? If you're working, do it as unto God, right? Wherever it is, whatsoever you do, right? And, and sometimes we kind of divide those things like sacred and secular. Well, really, biblically, it's the whole realm of our life ought to be one of service, and it should make sense. And I, I think of Old Testament examples like Joseph, right? Joseph was just a leader. He really, he really was, but where did he get his leadership abilities? Well, from God. Because he didn't go to any training school other than the dungeon, in Pharaoh's dungeon, right? And here he is, the, the runt of the litter, so to speak, right? He's the one at the very end, uh, almost, you know, with his younger brother, but he's, he's on that end of things, and his brothers despise him, and, and they wouldn't let him lead. And then God uses him later on to lead a nation. Wow. And has divine wisdom. And you see that. And I realize it's a different dispensation. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit was at work with Joseph. And very similar. God hasn't changed. And so um, I understand the gifts we're talking about here is, is relegated to the church age or the dispensation of grace, we often call it. But they also fall outside of that as God anointed people and, and the Holy Spirit um, came on people that way and used them. And you see that in the Old Testament. So leadership. All right. And the word prostemi means guide. That's the simplest form of it. And I often think about that. A guide is one who hopefully is leading you in the right direction, right? You know, if your guide doesn't know where he's going, you're, we're all in trouble. That's for sure. <laughs> and ultimately, God's our guide, and he's given us the guidebook. And hopefully, as we discern the word of God and submit to biblical leadership in that way, we're on that right path of that. It's, it's like steering a ship. And if you think about a ship, um, 
you really, a big vessel, for example, you know, you have a, a whole bunch of crewmen, right? You might have dozens or even hundreds or like in an aircraft carrier, thousands that all serve on an aircraft carrier, like 5,000 people in some of the big aircraft, you know, carriers. And, and they all have a place on that ship. And they all have a function. But there's one captain, one that directs the ship. And that aspect of it is, is the guide, right? And I think that that's important. Then the next one is mercy. <clears throat> Romans 12.8 says, He who shows mercy. Now, he lumps mercy in. Now, mercy is an attribute of also, really, uh, the word compassion is what the word means. And it, it is, should be an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit as well, right? In showing compassion toward others. However, in this case, there are those that are particularly gifted in this encouragement or the gift of mercy. And uh, the Greek word is eleo. Um, and I think it's obvious when you see people that are just compassionate people. Uh, I'm talking about Christians. They just seem to have that extra little bit of heart that some of us don't have, you know. And I'm, I'm glad for that. I think of those like, and by the way, they're the ones that see the needs too. And they look for opportunities of mercy. Good example in scripture is a good Samaritan. Uh, we still use that in our definition of someone who is a, a, comes across something and is a caregiver in a time of need, right? A good Samaritan stepped up and helped out or stopped at a car accident. There's actually good Samaritan laws that help protect those who help others so they don't get sued, you know, um, those kind of things. And and the Good Samaritan was one that, you know, everybody else went by the guy that got beat up and by thieves and left on the side of the road. And the Good Samaritan stopped. And not only did he stop and have compassion, because there's lots of people that have compassion on others, but he had the means to help the man. He puts him on his own beast of burden, you know, his donkey or whatever, and brings him into town, gives him, gets him a room, makes sure his wounds are taken care of, and then says to the innkeeper, if he, uh, I'll pay you whatever he owes next time, you know, and if this isn't enough, right? And, and I think of those kind of people. Mercy. Good stuff. And then you come to 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, we'll leave Romans 12 for a bit here. And I'm going to begin reading here. He gets down further on and lists the gifts. But Paul writes here, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Make sure you know that, right? Diversities of gifts. Not everybody has the same gift, right? There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Then he says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So that's why these gifts are available. It's not for us alone as individuals. It's for the church. For to one is given the word of wisdom. So there's another gift. And again, this may fall under the category of teaching um, or exhortation in some ways. But the word of wisdom, and that's a different word. It's the word Sophia, which means wisdom. And it's really, as it's indicated here, it is one of the speaking gifts because it's a, um, a means of, you know, communicating something to others, right? And you see that um, the people that are just gifted with wisdom, you ever been there and you're sitting there and you're listening to somebody and you're like, why didn't I think about that? You know, why can he make it so clear? I never saw that, you know. And, and I, I like that when I'm sitting there and I'm listening to somebody. I'm like, wow, the light bulb goes on. And it's because they have wisdom I don't have. Now, there's, there's different ways you get wisdom, right? You can study hard and get wisdom, that's for sure. And I think you can, the next phrase is um, also the word of knowledge. That's a different word. We'll come to that. But there's an idea of like experience. That's a way you get wisdom and stuff. But you have those that just can look at something and figure it out. And I think God gives people that spirit of wisdom. And it is something that, and, and he has given us certainly the scriptures to be wise. 
not only wise unto salvation, but wise unto all the things that pertain to life and godliness, right? A good example in Scripture of wisdom, um, I didn't put it in my notes, but I have, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2. If you go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, I don't think I put it in there, unless it's further down. No, I didn't. Luke chapter 2 and in verse 45, you remember the account. Jesus is 12 years old um, as a boy. He has, he has been teaching, or he, he goes and he ends up teaching in the temple area. And verse four, four, his family had come to the, the city for a celebration of the feast, and then when they were headed back, they supposed he was in the company of the group, and he wasn't. They got a day's journey away, and they realized Jesus is not here. Bad thing when you lose Jesus, by the way, right? So <laughs> they didn't lose him, but they, he, he knew where he was. They go back, and they find him teaching, and he's confounding the, the, the doctors of the law. Look at it, it says in verse 45. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So even Mary and Joseph, which were godly people, they didn't fully understand this whole thing. Look what it goes on. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And look what it says in verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom. Sophia. And stature. That's the growth, right? And in favor with God and man. I think the best picture of someone who is all wise is Jesus. Here he is confounding the, the teachers. Those that had given their whole life to study. And here he is talking to them, asking them questions, and they just are amazed. Sophia. How do you get that? Through the Spirit, right? That's what it says here. The next one is knowledge through the same Spirit. That's lumped together as another gift or apart from, from that. And the word knowledge there is uh, gnosis, which is like to know something by experience. And I'm glad for those kind of people. Um, they are able to understand the truth and filter it through their experiences of life and then come alongside someone else and, and help them along. I like those kind of people. That's the fleshing out of the Bible in practical, everyday application. <coughs> I, when I went to Pastor Umkeg Baptist Church and was pastoring there for about uh, uh, almost five years we were there, and when I got there, there's a little back office in this old church building that had been built around the year 1900, the church building. And so, you know, kind of picture an old Baptist church with a steeple and high ceilings and tin ceilings and all that and pews. And, and there's a little tiny office out back. And I went and went out to the back of the office. I was sitting there and there was all this paperwork in, desk, in, a, in a short, small desk. And I started digging through that and I... I came across documents from over 100 years before that. And it was a time where they were building that church. And they did it with funding from the people. And there was a list of members of the church and what they donated for the church. And, and you know, there was like said, for instance, like Cladbore siding. And it was like $40 worth or something like that, you know. And you had, you, had, uh, you know, timbers for this. And you had the ceiling and you had paint and you had all this different stuff and it was all listed and I thought that was really cool and I thought wow you know there was a time when when people were so excited to build a new church building and and those people were long gone and all that but I noticed that that all happened under a a man named Albert Bailey he was a young pastor he would have been in his early 20s and he was there for about three years if I if I figured it out correctly 
And as a young man, you know, around 1900 or so, uh, year 1900 or so, he was there. And there was amazing things that took place during that time. It looked like the membership increased greatly. It looked like um, there were missionaries that had gone out. There were all kinds of neat things. And I said, man, I'd love to know, meet that guy, Albert Bailey. Wouldn't that be neat? You know, but he lived 100 years before me, you know, at that point. And I was sitting, oh, a couple years later at... uh, I don't know where I was sitting with them, but Bob, uh, for uh, Bob Dunlop and Margie Dunlop. And, of course, Bob Dunlop had also been at Pasadena Keg in 1950. He graduated in 53 from, 19, from MBBI, and he ministered there for two years. It was their first church. And if ever met, any of you ever met Bob and Margie Dunlop, Bob's still alive. Uh, Margie's with the Lord. But just a dear, dear couple. And he was a gifted evangelist, a gifted preacher, and again, great revival, I believe, took place during that time in the 1950s. And my wife's mother got saved under the ministry of Bob Dunlop. And my wife's mother led my wife to the Lord. And I'm thankful for Bob Dunlop and the ministry he had in Central Maine. He and Lindy Putnam went around singing and did all kinds of stuff. It was really cool. Well, I was sitting with Bob Dunlop. And I said, Bob, you know, I was reading at Pasadumkeg. And I said, I heard of a guy named Albert Bailey. You ever hear mention of him? He goes, Albert Bailey, Pastor Bailey. He said he went and was a missionary in Africa. And he spent, he spent decades in Africa. And he said, when we were there at the church, this would have been in the 1950s, an elderly Albert Bailey came. And he said, he had us on the edge of our seats we all got scared when the lion roared, you know, and he said things like that, you know, because he's talking about the things that went on in Africa. And God used Albert Bailey in his elderly years to motivate people in, you know, some 50 years after he'd been at Pasadena to press on and continue in doing stuff. And I, and I said, what a neat man, you know, what a neat man. He, did, he just went and did and did stuff. And I really think he was one of these guys that had not only a spirit of wisdom, and, but of knowledge. And he was able to take what he had learned in all those years and convey it to a young pastor named Bob Dunlop and others. And, and it made a great influence on that church. And then years later, then 50 years later almost, I'm in that church as a pastor. And I thought, wow, I'm standing in the... And by the way, I think it was the same pulpit. It was actually worn where the preacher would hold the edge of the I mean it was worn right down and I imagine all the sweaty palms that had touched that pulpit over the years and I wondered back maybe one one of those was Albert Bailey I don't know but uh, I say God you're good you know because your word goes forth is it possible that there's someone here tonight that is like an Albert Bailey right or or someone in this circle that is is just has that kind of filter of the knowledge of God and runs with it and does stuff, and encourages others. I don't know, but I say, be looking for it, right? Then we move on here. We got the word of knowledge. We got faith is another one. To another faith. Now, I think all of us live by faith, or should live by faith. Not that it's not a gift necessarily that the aspect of of pistos, which is faith um, in the Greek, it means, you know, to trust. And there are those, in this case, and in the context here, Someone whose faith is such, and it's gifted of God, to stir up the faith of others. And you see that. Um, and really, it is part of the gifting of the fruits of the Spirit as well, of Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And you also have those that just have that, they exhibit a, a faith about them that is um, unshakable, right? And we need those kind of people around us, because my faith wavers. And there's times I'm like, oh, I can't trust the Lord in that. And then my brother over here or my sister over there, whatever, they come along and say, but yes, we can because God is God. And it brings us back in line. And there's, I'm thankful for those kind of people that they look beyond the, the immediate and they see what God can do. And I'm glad for those people. Faith. The next one is Healings. And that, again, I mentioned earlier, I believe, is one of the sign gifts. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. And I say that differentiating between um, 
the, first of all, God is able to heal. I still believe he's able to heal. And there are accounts of that, and, and I don't dispute that. Um, where I do dispute is that he's particularly today gifted individuals with faith healing, as they so-called. Um, I think a lot of that is just a bunch of shenanigans, in short. <laughs> That's another Greek word, shenanigans, right? Uh, no, uh, but it, it is, and it's sometimes money makers and other things like that. And I, I'm careful about that because, you know, I'm not saying, when you come to the book of James, we're told to pray over the sick, to anoint them with oil. Uh, we're to call for the elders and do that. And the prayer, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? And, and I think prayer and healing are coupled together, for sure. But God is, the best way to say it is, God is not obliged to heal anybody through my prayer or through your prayer in this day and age. But he particularly gave gifts to the apostles and to others in that early days as a sign of his confirmation of the message. That's why we say they're sign gifts. I believe when the word of God was complete, there was no longer need for sign gifts to confirm the message. It had been confirmed. Um, nevertheless, I'm not saying God can't heal, because he does heal in, in that. But where I'm going is a gift of healing that is with an individual today that might have that. Um, I don't believe that that is available currently. And there's a lot of verses that deal with that. Um, 1 Corinthians 2... 12, Paul writes, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And Paul lays this out in his ministry to the Corinthian church, and, and he's saying the spirit of God has, is basically you know, with us to confirm these things. And in Hebrews 2.4, that is also talked about. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And back in that early day, remember the Jews required a sign. And God said, you know, he, he was not obliged to give them any signs, but he did. And he gave signs to others as well. And there's lots of uh, illustrations throughout scripture of those uh, of that now, going coupled with that is miraculous healing or miraculous powers to another the working of miracles, and that falls under a whole realm again of supernatural um, miracles that took place, mostly associated with healings. It can be associated with other things as well, and we see that. And the word is uh, dynamion, and it means like miraculous power or powers. And that's the word that is used for that. And it's, I believe, another temporary sign gift that involved performing supernatural events that could only be attributed to the power of God. Some illustrations of that, for instance, Acts 2.22. Here, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles. Why were the miracles given by Jesus? To confirm who he was. Wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. And then you come to like Acts 19, and we have Paul, the apostle. Here he is working. Uh, Ephesus, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So there's this miracles that were associated even with the unclean handkerchiefs that Paul had showing that the power of God went even beyond unclean things and um, again it is in a city where they were looking for miracles and God honored that with Paul by the way it wasn't about Paul and Paul always directed it towards heaven didn't he and then you come to Acts 3 and you have Peter Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Amen. Hmm. And then Stephen, one of the first deacons, right? Acts chapter 6, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. There's another one miracles acts 8 
Um, here you have the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And then it lists what happened. Uh, it says, For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So definitely in the book of Acts, as you look through that, there are these sign gifts that confirmed the message and the messenger. Uh, and by the way, miracles were not at the disposal of the, the one who was able to work the miracle completely. Because you think about it, Stephen in Acts chapter 7, he's standing and he's Holy Spirit filled, right? He gives a message. At the end of that message, a very convicting message, those that heard it stopped their ears, they ran out of him with one accord, and they took him, they brought him out of the sea, they stoned him to death. Now you'd say, well, if God had Stephen be a miracle worker, then he should have just been able to say, be done, and have them all go away. Or you know, slay them right there in the spirit or something like, no. God at his will, at his divine disposal, um, allowed these miracles to take place. And that, that's important to know because there are some that believe, and this is taught in especially charismatic circles, that will say, um, you know, you will be healed if you have enough faith. Well, I would say Stephen had enough faith because the Bible says he was a man full of faith. And in Acts 7, just before he's killed, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The message he gives is a spirit-filled message, a spirit, a divine message. And he still dies. So I'd have to argue with people that say, if you don't have enough faith, that's why you're sick. Or you don't have enough faith, that's why you're having such hard times. And all. Well, sometimes it's because we're in the faith that we have those things. And sometimes it's just because we need to learn what pain is like so that we draw close to God. And I'd say more often that that is the case. Even Jesus, when he was here on earth, did not heal everybody. He actually healed very few compared to all the ailments that must have been out of there, all the people that were dying. How many funeral processions did Jesus walk by? Probably lots in his years, 33 years on this earth. Did he stop and raise everyone back to life? No, he didn't. So anyways, I, I put that out by just to think there on that. All right, we'll go back. Discerning of spirits, that's another one that's listed in 1 Corinthians 12.10. Discerning of spirits. And that, I believe, is, and, and most would agree with this in commentary, that there are certain individuals that seem to be gifted with a unique ability to, to be able to determine what is true message of God and what is not. And I'm glad for those kind of people. They're, they have a discerning spirit about them. It also is filtered by the word of God, but by the spirit of God. And they can come along and say, that's just not of God. Yeah, but why isn't it of God? You know, most of us want to go do it. But no, they say, wait, hold on. That's not of God. And those that are truly gifted in that, they are sort of the, I would say, first of all, um, uh, you know, the, the one who can stand and be able to um, stop bad doctrine from coming in or for instance deception i'm glad for those kind of people they see deception right and they are able to see that in first john four eleven, jesus says test the spirits to see whether they be of god you say well how do i test the spirit well ultimately you test it through the filter of the word of god because for instance I had this conversation recently with somebody who wants to do something that I think is, is sin. But anyways, I just leave it. And, I, um, and, and it's sort of one of those areas that, you know, others don't think it's sin. And, but but I, I was thinking about that because although we can't always determine because there's, there's no Bible verse necessarily that covers every sin or everything. But we can discern by, like, for instance, the fruits of those things. And I would say this, that if, if something is being brought into your life or you're doing something and it doesn't bring peace, it doesn't bring love, joy, temperance, meekness, goodness, right? Um, those, some of those fruits right there. I mean, it could have some of those things. There's a lot of people running around and saying, oh, look at the love we have in this, but there's no temperance in it, no self-control. Well, that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. 
And a, a discerning person, and especially those that are gifted in discernment, would say, wait a minute. Even though you think it's really good, that's, there's something wrong here. Hold on. And I think that we need, again, we absolutely need those people because God says they're here. Part of the church. Discerning spirits. I've got to quickly get done here, but... And, of course, I leave the hardest ones for, for the last ones. But um, then he goes on to say difference in tongues, right? Different kinds of tongues. And, by the way, I truly believe that the tongues that are mentioned in Scripture were known tongues. There were people that actually spoke these languages. We, we read of that Acts chapter 2, and it even tells us where they were from. And just like today, depending on where you're from, like certain countries, not everybody speaks English. I know that English speakers sometimes think they do, but they don't, you know? I had this discussion with a missionary that was going to go to Ukraine, and, and he was talking about stuff, and, and uh, he went on and on. I, I, I know he was, he, was in the, he, he was one of these guys that, you know, King James only, and you can't, you know, you read any other version, all that. And I'm like, okay. And he was asking to come to, that was at Pasadena, he asked me to come to church. And, I, and he asked me that, do you only use the King James? I said, yes, I do. At the time, I used my King James uh, but I, I said, I, I'm not in a disagreement with other translations. And, and he, he said, well, you can't, I can't go to your church. And I said, okay. And I told him, I said, well, you go to Ukraine. They don't use it either, mm-hmm. you know. At that point, and he was going to eastern Ukraine. They're using the, the Ru- Russian text of the Russian Bible, you know. And I thought, wow, he's going to have a wake-up call, you know. Anyways, I don't know where I'm going with that. But other than to say this, the tongues. The tongues are, make it a little confusing. But they were tongues that were known. And real quickly, there were those confirmed, like for instance, Acts chapter 2, that they spoke, as the apostles spoke, that people also heard their language to the very dialect. Like if uh, an Acadian from Madawaska had been there, they would have heard it in their dialect. You know, that's the way it was. And that was a miracle. And it was involved mostly, mostly with the hearing, but also with the delivery as well. And Paul later corrects that with the Corinthian church. They were, uh, weren't practicing tongues correctly. And he goes through a great dissertation on that. But in, and by the way, tongues was always present, or excuse me, tongues in the scripture. There are three times tongues are seen in, in the book of Acts, and all three times Jews are present. And you say, well, what's the significance of that? Well, you have to go back to um, the Tower of Babel when the nations were scattered. That was a judgment, by the way. Languages and differences are a sign of judgment. And that's a reminder to us that from Genesis on, we have been confounded. I think God did that in his mercy because if we all spoke the same language, think of how much more sin we could do, right? And how much more damage we could do. But anyways, back to that. The Jew, and in the, at the day of Pentecost, you know, particularly those in Jerusalem, they thought they had the pure language and that the word of God only came out in Hebrew or whatever. And all of a sudden they hear languages, the Gentile languages also, the word of God in those same languages. It was both a sign of confirmation, that's a positive, but it was a sign of judgment to those who had rejected Christ. That the language of the Gentiles was now also a language that God was using. And so Jews were always present. And uh, there's evidence of that. And uh, anyways, I'll leave it there. There's lots of other things I could say because the modern day tongue movement does not practice even what the biblical pattern of tongues was in that. And then the other part of that is the interpretation of tongues. Obviously, as Paul later teaches in Corinthians, that you have to have an interpreter or else it's of no value. You're just a sounding brass, you know, tinkling cymbal, right? That's all it is. If someone stood up here tonight and began to speak Swahili, which is a big language group in Africa, uh, anybody here know Swahili? No. So he could go through this whole message in Swahili and it wouldn't profit any of us unless I had an interpreter over here that every couple sentences would would pause and wait and he would 
say it in English or in a language you understood. And so that was what was going on in the early church. But it was miraculous in that uh, people didn't have to study the language to be able to speak it or hear it. But it was a language that was a known language. And it was a sign again, as the word of God was going out, that he was confirming his message to the Gentiles and also warning the Jew in that. Um, And then there's that. And then the last uh, part is, uh, he says, healings and then helps. And I left the word helps outside of all this because it appears here in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. But helps is like, uh, it's a different Greek word. Uh, antilepsis, and it means to strengthen, to fortify, to help, to defend, to support. And there are those, I believe, that have that ministry of helps. They're able to come alongside others, and they're able to um, to identify needs, and then maybe their spiritual needs are struggling with things like fears or doubts or some spiritual battle, and they're able to fortify that individual, and they come along and do that. And I, I think that's another one. And then again, and I, I'm not going to cover the word uh, for the evangelism because it's not listed here as a gift, but I do believe there's those that are particularly gifted in evangelizing and evangelism. Um, but that, the jury's out on that because it's not necessarily a gift per se. It's an activity that we're told to do if you're in that, you know, you know a pastor was told to do that. You know, Timothy was said, do the work. Paul said, do the work of the evangelist, Right. So it's partly just getting out and telling others and being part of that. But there are certainly people that are gifted in the message and the way they convey that message so that others understand. Anyways, some gifts of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you have uh, identified some more in Scripture or less or whatever, or you, maybe you don't agree with everything I said. That's fine. When you get to heaven, you'll realize I was right. right? No. no, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Word of God, and thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I pray you'd stir up those gifts among us that we might edify the church. And Lord, we might be more effective in our ministry, in our walk, in our families. And Lord, that you'd just be glorified in these things. We thank you that the Holy Spirit doesn't point to himself, but he points to the Son. So Lord, help us to be the same as we yield our members to him. In Jesus' name, amen.